Well, thank you all for leading us in worship. I know they are always so faithful to get here early and practice and set up and get all the tech stuff going as well. So thank you all who serve in that capacity to bless us with singing the Word. So we, we come and we hear the Word preached, but we sing the Word before we hear the Word. So more Word all the time. So it makes for a good, healthy church. Uh, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. When I was, I don't know what I was, probably 11, 12 years old, there was nothing in life I wanted more than a dirt bike. I mean, nothing in life I wanted more. And back then, you know, obviously the internet really wasn't a thing. So you remember um, they had like Auto Trader or like Cycle Trader or whatever, and you had to go to the gas station and buy the magazine. So every Thursday they would get a, a fresh copy. And I didn't have any money, but I would buy them and I would just look at all the motorcycles or dirt bikes for sale. I don't know what happened. But my dad, when I was 12 years old, he took me across town. I live in Louisville. Took me to Buckner, Kentucky. It's kind of rural, real pretty out there, rural Kentucky. And we bought this 1986 Honda XR80, and it had a royal blue seat, and the body was orange, and it was heavenly. It was everything that I could have wanted. And for years. I drove that thing, man. We had a flood wall behind our house, and so I'd go ride, or we'd go to the lake. My cousins and Uncle Nance had, you know, a lake place. I'd be able to take my, my XR80, and that was my dirt bike. I had a yellow helmet. It didn't match, but I didn't care, you know, when I'm 12. Um, but I loved it, man. I had a dirt bike, and it was great. And sometimes people give us gifts because they're for us. It's a gift for you. And you get to enjoy that thing. Um, and that's not a bad thing. You know, you think about people you love and you just give them things because you want them to have them. 
there are other kinds of gifts we give because um, there are certain things in life people need to do well. It would be like buying a doctor his first, first stethoscope. Is it for him? Well, if he wants to sit around and listen to his own heart, I guess he could do that. But you're buying him something because he needs it to help other people, right? In the same way, um, spiritual gifts are given to us, but not necessarily just for us. So we need to remember God does not exist for us. We exist for God. And all the good that God gives me, yes, I enjoy, but God is giving it to me so I can use it for the welfare of others, which is to the glory of God. So everything in life, everything I have, but even everything um, that I can do never points back to me. Everything points to the glory of God. And this is, you know, especially important, I think, because, you know, we live very much so in a me-centered, self-centered, egotistical society. And, and Paul's talking about here, you all use what you have, be what you are, not for you, but for the other, for the glory of God. So Paul's coming into spiritual gifts. And that's what we're talking about. What's the point of them? He says, starting in verse 1, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. Or um, you could say ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant regarding things that are from the Spirit. I don't want you to be ignorant regarding spiritual persons. You could translate it. Which is important. Um, because sins committed in ignorance are still sin. If you tell an officer of the law, well, I didn't know you can't knock over a gas station. I had no idea. He's not going to say, oh, you didn't know. You're still held accountable to the law. Um, that's true in the Old Testament. There were provision in the law for sins committed in ignorance. So God is always holding you and I accountable, and there's no excuse. Here's the thing. God always speaks into every facet of life so that we are without excuse. And if that's true, it means that being a Christian means I'm always living in the posture of someone who's growing. I'm, I'm always in the posture of someone who wants to improve. I don't want to just settle into my sin, settle into this version of a Christian I am. I've learned enough. I've gone far enough. I'm good. I'm done. I'm just going to write here. It doesn't work. And this was, this was uh, the Corinthians' problems on a number of fronts that we've looked at, right? Paul's saying, hold on, you, you've settled into this and you can't stop there. Let's correct that. Let's fix that. So one more time, Paul is offering his spiritual corrective to the Corinthian church. And I don't want you to take that lightly. I don't want you to take it lightly that Paul is correcting the Corinthian church. It's amazing, and it's no small thing that he's doing it. And once you see why. Verse 2, he says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. 
So Paul says, you know, you know how you were led astray. He says, however, all the varieties of the ways that you were led astray. And he says, to to what? To mute idols. So apart from Christ, before you were Christians, here was your very best spiritual intuition. You carved little wooden birds. You carved little wooden creatures or images. You had little metal cast things you would buy in the marketplace and you would worship things that can't talk. You would worship things that can't hear. You would worship things that can't see. And you would, you would impart a way, a religion that they supposedly would give you. So Paul's not embarrassing them. He's just drawing out the sharp, the sharp contrast of that's what you were. Think about what you are now. It's a miracle that any of them could be corrected because it means... They're no longer in this helpless, dull, spiritual state that they were in. He says, you know what you were. He says, look back. See how far you were from Christ. He says, understand this then. You you simply can't say Jesus is Lord unless you're in the Spirit. And it would be an impossible thing for you to curse Jesus if you're in the Spirit. In other words, it is a supernatural work of heaven If one would say and mean it wholeheartedly, Jesus is Lord. That's something God has done in you. That is the alien force of heaven, of the Spirit of God, awakening you to things you could not awaken yourself to. So to simply say, man, you can be corrected on this. You can change. Wow. Because you couldn't have corrected me five years ago because I would have said words you shouldn't have heard or shouldn't say, or I would have made motions with my hands, or I would have just walked away from you. Yet Paul's saying, because of what the Spirit of God has done, you can be corrected. You can change. You can grow. So before we even consider the gifts the Spirit gives us, I want you to think about first the gift you have in Christ. Just what it means to be Christ's. Alone because of the Spirit's work, you believe the Gospel. So alone because of the Spirit, you can grow up in the Gospel. Paul says, however you were led. And that little phrase reminds me of um, my creative capacity, your creative capacity to sin. However you were led. Like who wants to stand up here and list, you know, everything you've done in your life before you came to Christ, or sometimes after. You and I have a creative capacity to think up all kinds and to do all kinds of sin, all kinds of wrong in every avenue from um, the ways we abuse sex to the way we treat other people to the way we imagine God's. All the things that we do, Paul says, however you were led and we heartily defend our sin until what happens? Until the light of the gospel shines in. And that outside alien force of righteousness comes into our hearts as we believe the gospel and grace shines through. So why is it that you you decided to come here at four o'clock? Why is it that you could hope to obey Jesus? Why is it 
that you are bothered when you sin. Why is it? It's only because the Spirit of God has come upon you. Now, that's not to say there aren't false professions of faith, but to get to Paul's point, if your profession's real, your life will match it, and you will grow, and you will want to go, and you will be correctable, and you will want someone to correct you. So the gift of seeing and loving Jesus, this, the, this, the reality of believing the truth, is that, is that a gift to you? Do, you? do you relish that? Are you in wonder and awe? And sometimes I just think dumbfoundedness when you realize that God has saved you. And it's a work that only He could do. So it's, it's not a small thing. It's not a small thing to be driving down the road and someone pop in your mind or something to pray for. It's not a small thing to confess sin to a brother. It's not a small thing to be moved to share the Gospel. It's not a small thing to be moved to give your money away. It's not a small thing to do any of these things. Because it's a, word, it's a sign that the Spirit of God is at work in you. And I know like maybe if you like you grew up in church, you get into it, and so like you hear those words, and it's like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And friends, we can't do that. You've got to resist like settling into what it means to be a saved person and just live in the wonder and all of it. You had a creative capacity for sin, but Paul says now you've got a corrective capacity to change and to grow up more into Jesus. And you should desire it and long for it. As bad as the Corinthian church is flying off the rails, and we've made this point a bunch, and boy, are they off the rails, it's amazing that Paul still keeps writing with that pen. It's amazing that Paul keeps writing because he believes this isn't about them. This isn't about how deep into sin they are. It isn't about how ignorant they are. It isn't about how hopeless they seem. It's about this. The Spirit of God has done His work, so the Spirit of God will finish His work. Because Jesus doesn't say, um, follow me with one leg, right? Just kind of drag the other. Jesus doesn't say, follow me intermittently. What does Jesus say to us? He says, leave everything behind and follow me. In other words, Jesus doesn't say you can somewhat follow me, but you have to arrive at perfection. If you're following Jesus, the only end goal for every Christian is that the Spirit will grow us up completely to sanctification and perfection and glory in heaven. So I can never be satisfied with good enough. I've been a Christian five years, 10 years, 15 years, 50 years. Oh, I've got the whole Bible memorized. It doesn't matter, friends, until we're with Christ in glory. I'm not yet as I should be. So I want to grow. I want to be corrected in the Spirit. Professing Jesus as Lord is just the first of many movements of the Spirit in me. I have a friend that lives in uh, Seattle, Washington. He lived here for a while, but moved back. And... Um, he showed me a picture one time of like, you know, his city. And I was like, that's beautiful. I think it was Mount Rainier that kind of kind of just towers over Seattle. And I said, that's amazing. I said, don't you miss living there? And you get to see that beautiful mountain like every day. And he said, ah, you stop seeing it after a while. And that hit me. You stop seeing it after a while. And it's no different in the Christian life. If you're not careful... Friends, you, you just, you just kind of stop seeing the wonder of it. 
you, you stop feeling the humility of it that God saved you. That you have a capacity to be like Jesus. And that should wow you every day. It should wow you. Jesus said, you have to have faith like a child. Um, But I think what's accompanied with childlike faith um, is childlike wonder. You know, kids just have sort of a sparkle in their eye. Like life is big. Everything's grand. I think when we get older, we get kind of like fuddy-duddy-ish, you know. Um, but, but as Jesus calls us to step out and just believe Him because He loves us and I just trust Him, at the same time, I, I don't want to lose the wonder of what it means to know God, the Creator of heaven and earth, who promised me, promises me new life forevermore with Him. Do you live with a certain sensitivity to the Spirit? Are you, are you wanting the Spirit to correct you? Are you, are you wanting to change? Are you wanting to grow? These are signs of a genuine Christian. Are you, are you looking for your sin to be pointed out? You say, well, who wants that? Well, it doesn't feel good, but you should want it. You should want it. You should desire it. Um, are you correctable? And you know, a lot of times the way that God corrects people, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of times the way that the Spirit corrects you it's not just like an impression on the heart, like, mm, I shouldn't have said that. Mm. It's when a brother or sister is willing to come up to you and say, hey, I've been praying about something and I need to correct you. That's the Spirit's correction a lot of times. So you have to ask yourself, are you willing to be corrected by people in the local church who love you and mean well for you? That's That's a sign of genuineness is receiving correction so that we can all grow up together. And I think that's that's, your individual life, but we're all what? Individuals together of the same body. So if we're not growing together in Jesus, that means the body of Christ is not growing as it should grow together. Like Paul says, joints and ligaments together. But if I'm willing to grow in the Spirit and I'm willing to be used by God, Paul says it's not just for me to be a saved person. Enjoy it. Love it. But Paul really expects us to look outward at one another in the church. He says in verse 4, there's a variety of gifts with the same Spirit. Variety of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for common good. Now here's here's what's really interesting to note. Note Paul does not say, now there are varieties of spiritual phenomena. There are varieties of supernatural works among you. I think it's really important that Paul says gifts. Because what's the problem right now? The problem right now for the Corinthians is pride and possession. Mine. Look at me. Look at look what I can do. So, so one, one writer noted that, that gifts is a really important word because it kind of cuts through uh, this, this very uh, sinful spirit they have of um, innateness, like, well, I have what I have because I deserve it. I have what I have because I've earned it. And this, this had become spiritual gifts, this kind of tool for tearing out who's really spiritual, who's really important, and who has like different gifts, and we can kind of classify people this way. 
But if it's a work of God to save us, if it's a work of God to grow us, friends, at the exact same time, it's a work of the Spirit to equip us. Everything I have, I have because God has given me. That's true for every believer. And he goes on and says it two other ways. And I think the two ways he says it are very on point. He says there's a variety of what? Service. Why do you have gifts? Service to the Lord. There's a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So here's, here's the big why. Why does He say that you would have spiritual gifts? Why does He say that you have these things? He says it's a manifestation of what? The Spirit for the common good. That's it. Why has God given you anything? Why has God spiritually enriched you? So you can, you can be helpful, so you can benefit so you can edify those in the local church. That's why. Which, you know, sounds, doesn't it, uh, strangely like Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, and though He was King of the universe, was willing to give Himself up and wrap Himself in flesh and do what needed to be done for the welfare of other people who didn't even deserve it. So it makes sense then if God would give me and you a certain responsibilities, certain privileges that have certain responsibilities, it wouldn't be so I could say, look at me and look what I can do, but it would be, hey, look at what God has given me so I can uh, steward it well for Him. That's why. So not muscle flexing. Not muscle flexing. It's to say, look, look, Look at what I can do in for the local church. This is why God has given spiritual gifts. And spiritual gifts have responsibilities. And your responsibilities leave you accountable to God. And it's true for all of life. So it's certainly true when it comes to spiritual gifts. First Peter chapter 4 Verse 10 and 11, the apostle says, As each has received a gift, use it. Why? To serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. One who serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. There's your reason. So that God gets the glory. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever Amen. It's for God's glory. It's for God's glory. So I want to look with you at, at these gifts starting in verse 8. But to note, there isn't in the New Testament um, a comprehensive, exhaustive list of spiritual gifts uh, you get some spattered here in 12 and further on. There's some in 13. Um, there's some spattered in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and in 1 Peter. So there's no master list. And I think it's reasonable to say um, that's because God didn't give us one because He doesn't want us doing the thing I think our flesh is intended to do. Here are all the possible gifts. This one's mine. Because you know what happens when you have your superpower? You're not willing to do anything else. 
oh, there's a cause to give money. Well, my spiritual gift isn't generosity, so mm, sorry. I'm a serve guy. So if y'all need some tables stacked after church, I, I'll do that. You know? Oh, well, you know, I would love to stay and do that, but that's not my calling. That's my gifting. And really what we're saying is I'm lazy and I don't want to do it, and I, and I have this reason why I think I can get out of it. So that doesn't work at all. Um, we need to kind of see spiritual gifts in, in shades. Uh, think about it like this. If there was um, a young believer, brand new to the faith, you know, he very likely, is, he's excited, and boy, does he serve. And everyone in that local church says, man, John, John, man, he, he just serves. He is there all the time, and he is just ready to serve. Well, as he grows in his faith and he studies the Word of God, is that all he can ever have? Hopefully in five, ten years, you can say, wow, John has really the gift of knowledge. That dude knows the Bible like the back of his hand. And he is useful in teaching some classes in this church. So there's no reason to think like, I found my superpower, guys. I've got it. There's no reason why I wouldn't have different shades of them according to the needs of a church in different times. So spiritual gifts, I think, can be seasonal. They can, they're partial in when and how they're used. And when we see them like that, we get away from this mentality of what's mine. You know, what's my thing? I'm looking outward to what are the needs of the church. And if there's a need and no one can fill it except for you, there's probably a good chance that God's given you the gifting for it. So... Gifts, um, I, want, I want to do it like this, again, to keep us away from like the superpower mentality. Let's do it like, hey, I've got this friend. All right? For example, um, I'm, not a, I'm not mechanically inclined. All right? But sometimes in my mind, it'll go, hey, I got this friend. And uh, like Cameron or Chase will pop in my mind. And like, they'll know what to do. I think that's the benefit of spiritual gifts. So think about it like that as we kind of work through the list. Uh, verse 8, for to one is given through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom. So what's meant by wisdom? Wisdom is uh, the, the ability to kind of see um, certainly complex, diverse situations where it's not really clear what like, the best decision to make is. And that's life a lot of times, even in the, in the Christian life. And it's a, the ability to kind of discern how to act, what to do in any, any given circumstance. So wisdom can't be disconnected from knowledge, which is another one we'll look at. But wisdom is the ability to really apply knowledge in all of life and make the best decision, whether it be ethical, moral, or just a decision. Um, maybe you're thinking, man, I've got this job offer. There's these pros and cons. It's going to be more money, but should I go for just the money? Shouldn't I go? I would have to move my family. I need some wisdom. Hey, I got this friend. You see, God gifts us in the church with people that have the things that we need, vice versa. It's wisdom. Um, utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. So that's very much so doctrine. It's like biblical understanding. What should I believe about heaven and hell? What should I believe about the nature of salvation? Um, why are there covenants in the Old Testament? What are the significance of covenants in the Old Testament for me um, living um, on this side of the cross? Uh, what does it look like to be a Christian in any given society and submit to the government? A great number of things that are doctrinally related to truth that you need to know, that I need to know, 
hey, I got this friend. Now, hopefully your pastor would be a good place to somewhat start with knowledge, but it doesn't stop there. We need to know the truth about God. Why? So I can know what is right, so I can live right, ethically, morally, believe right, and not be dissuaded by culture, not be dissuaded by false teachers. So there's, there's knowledge that I need. Hey, I've got this friend. Moving on to um, the next one. He says, faith um, by the same Spirit. You say, now hold on, don't we all have to have faith to be Christians? Yes, and this gives back to the shades thing. Like not, not everyone, you have this one, you have this one. Like we all have a little bit of wisdom and knowledge, hopefully. Um, but, but at the same time, it's not talking about saving faith. Uh, this refers to Jesus. When Jesus says, if you have faith, you know, inside of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Jesus curses the fig tree and they're amazed. And He says, have you had faith? You, could, you, know, you can move the mountain into the sea. So it's faith that really believes God can and will do big things. Not, I believe God is going to give me $12 million. And I'm naming it and I'm claiming it and I got big faith. Okay, That's not the faith. That's not the faith we're talking about. We're talking about a faith that leads a Christian to step out and do great things for God, especially in difficult, scary, sometimes I think illogical circumstances. Really, I, you know, as, as I was preparing for this, um, uh, Chris and I went down to Coleman uh, last weekend. Was it last weekend? For um, Send Me Refuge, you know, Archie. We went down there to Mexico, and they had a banquet last weekend in Coleman, so we rolled down there. And it was a reminder that's someone that I think of when I think about the gift of faith. This is a guy that just flew to Mexico, shows up, prays, Lord, here, here I am. And God just provides like resources and buildings. And he just has this big vision. He's believing God's going to do it because Archie wants to be like wealthy and rich. No, he's not becoming wealthy and rich. He's just sharing the gospel. He's doing ministry at that banquet. They're like talking about some million dollar coffee farm that he is like getting, it's like, what happened? It's like, are you a liar? I think you're a liar. You're either like, God's doing awesome things or you're a liar because you're riding around the truck with him as you're going to these towns and he's telling you these crazy stories. And you're like, if that's true, wow. You know, he texts periodically like, hey, this girl just got bit by a snake and she's probably going to die. The doctors say there's no way to live. She can live. Pray. And like a day later, she lived. You know, he's got like a million of these kinds of stories. And I think he's got great faith. And I think we should aspire to have faith like that, all of us. Because God does great and wonderful things when we believe like that. Don't you, who do you want praying for you? Let me say it that way. Who do you want praying for you? The guy with that kind of faith? Yeah. So let's grow in that kind of faith. That's not disconnected from the next one, um, healing by the same Spirit. So I think about um, in Acts when Peter and John are walking up to the temple and there's the guy begging for money. And remember, Peter says, I, money, I don't have any of that stuff. Silver and gold, I don't have, but what I do have. And he grabs the man by the hand and he pulls the man up and um, the man begins to walk. Uh, you read all throughout the Gospels, how often does Jesus give the blind their sight, the deaf can hear, the mute can speak. All kinds of sicknesses and diseases, leprosy. Jesus raises uh, people from the dead. Now, here's the interesting thing, and this gets back to why it's not superpower. In 2 Timothy, we read that um, Paul's friend uh, Trophimus is ill. And Paul has to leave him behind because he's ill. We read in Philippians that Epaphroditus almost dies because of his illness. Paul seemed to think he wasn't going to make it. 
So you see, all these gifts are still in accordance with God's will, God's spirit, God's season. And I think that fact that Paul didn't say, well, I'm the Paul's of Paul, so I just touched him and he was good. It, it tells us that we don't have these weapons. Like, look at mine. And I think especially the gift of healing, and a commentator made this point, I think it's so good, that fact that Paul couldn't heal these two people really shows us that we shouldn't institutionalize gifts. Every once in a while you'll see um, a very, very charismatic Pentecostal church and they'll have like a, a school of healing. Okay? I think that's highly unbiblical. God doesn't call us to, like, you know, we have these mystic powers and I kind of cultivate this gift of healing. So it kind of speaks against that. Um, it, can, can people be healed today supernaturally, I think is the next question we want to ask. Um, I believe that God doesn't change. And, and I, as I pray for sick people, whether it's cancer or this or that or the other, um, I believe God can do whatever God wants to do. Um, you know, when we read in uh, James, if you're sick, call the elders to anoint you with oil and they'll lay their hands on you. And he says the prayer of faith will save you. So I don't, I don't think the New Testament puts a limit on when and what God can do. Um, you know, I remember when I was young, I grew up in just a, a Baptist church. It wasn't at all on the charismatic Pentecostal spectrum at all. Um, but there was a missionary we supported uh, named Dave Walker. I mean, Dave Walker... He would come home and he would have the same kind of like wild stories. It's like you're either uh, like a liar from hell or God like is using you in incredible ways. So all kinds of stories of healing like that. And one, one time when I was a little older, um, my Sunday school teacher, and again, when we're talking about just a blue collar worker, not like an eccentric person, like not highly emotional, just a regular guy that I grew up with, grew up with his daughter, just a guy like I love and trust and just, just a good guy. He went on these like a mission trip that Dave wanted him to go on, and I remember he came back and I'm talking to him and and he told us like there you know it happened. He was like there was this girl and she had this massive tumor on her body, and all the missionaries gathered around. They put their hands on her and I put my and he said I was thinking well we'll pray for her nothing's gonna happen. And he said we pray and we were done praying we took her hands away and this massive tumor was gone. So again I'm I'm left with okay you're a liar oh you're a liar too. I'm not going to do that because I just don't see the Bible putting a limit on what God can and will do and where He'll do it. And when you meet believers that God's put in your life and they're attesting to it, I think you say, well, praise the Lord according to God's will and God's timing and God's way. God can still work however um, He wants to work today. I think also it's important to kind of think about it too. And I know this topic can go in a million different directions. And this is, this is the first of many sermons on this subject through Corinthians. God seems to work um, differently, I think, in the West than He does in the East. And what I mean is, I think when you go to the East and they're, they're, they don't have copies of God's Word, they don't have one, if any, reliable Bible teachers, um, it seems that God's willing to work in supernatural ways that He's not here. Um, one of my favorite theologians says, um, God replaces supernatural signs and wonders with supernatural community. In other words, Jesus doesn't say, you know, they'll know you um, by your supernatural signs and wonders. He says they'll know you by the way you love one another. So God, God seems to use supernatural signs and wonders to establish churches 
And then once you have healthy supernatural community, that's the thing that God expects to do the work of of working to save people as um, the Word um, is preached. So next one on that would be miracles. Uh, It's kind of the, I think you could see it as the negative side of healing. Paul strikes the sorcerer with blindness who's standing against him in Acts 13. Um, Ananias and Sapphira, Peter strikes them dead in the spirit. Um, because they lie, if you remember that story, um, about how much they, um, the financial, you know, finances that they're giving um, to, to the early church. Uh, the next one in verse oh, 10 is um, prophecy. Prophecy. And when we think of the word prophecy, the first thing that probably comes to mind, and rightly so, is Old Testament prophets. You think about like Elijah, you think about like Jonah, you think about one of these guys like showing up and I don't know why I imagine they have a giant staff in their hand, but they do and a big beard and they like proclaim God's truth. A lot of times it's negative. You know, we walked through Isaiah this past semester and a lot of times God has some very negative things to say about what's going to happen. So prophecy um, is, is, I think, in, in its most natural sense, Someone commissioned by God to foretell future events. Um, Agabus, twice in the New Testament, once he shows up to tell about the famine that's getting ready to hit in Acts 11. In Acts 21, he, he, you know, he binds Paul hand and foot to show that if Paul goes to Jerusalem, that's going to be his lot. We see Philip has daughters that are um, prophetesses. So that's prophecy foretelling. At the same time, Prophecy can mean just setting forth the truth. So as I stand up here and I say to you, hey, this is God's word. This is God's truth. I'm proclaiming God's truth to you. That in its sense um, is prophecy. Now, it's not prophetic like, hey, um, tomorrow at three o'clock, a guy in a suit is going to show up and he's going to hand you an envelope. and says it. Like that's, that's not obviously what we're doing on Sundays. But when you rightly set forth God's truth, God's at work. So it doesn't need to be any more, I think, um, supernatural than that. So let, let me, like, okay, I'm going to ask questions that I know pop in our minds. Is that good for today? Could someone, um, you know, walk up to you and say, hey, God gave me, like, a word for you. I want to share it with you. I don't believe there's anything convincing in the New Testament. Um, and again, we'll talk about these kinds of things in, in coming weeks. I don't think there's anything convincing in the New Testament that says God can't work today in ways that he worked um, in centuries past. So if said person walked up to you and said, I'm not going to make him an example, you know, hey man, I, wanna, I just want to let you know I'm praying for it. The Lord's told me, you know, you're, you're, you're going through a hardship right now and I know about it. I'm just praying for you or something. I don't know. Um, I think you take the integrity of that person into question. Um, you take their motive into question. You weigh what they're saying against the Bible. And then, according with the Old Testament, you weigh like if it's at all true. I mean, the Bible's very clear. Nobody gets, nobody gets a free license to just say stuff on behalf of God without being scrutinized. I don't get to stand up here and preach without being scrutinized by you. You should scrutinize me. So, and even uh, you would be killed in the Old Testament if you gave a, you know, a prophetic word that didn't come to pass. So, again, I think you just go back to the word and say, well... What's the motive? What's the intent? Is this useful? How is this helping me? And I'm going to weigh it against um, God's Word. 
Last one on this, uh, well, not the last one. The next one would be the ability to distinguish between spirits. So that, that would be very much so um, reasonable, I think, for everyone to have to an agree. Because if you don't, to some degree as a Christian, have a, the ability to distinguish between spirits, I could stand up here and tell you, wear the color blue forever, because God said so. Don't ever leave your house without shaving your head. Or something crazy, but well, he's the pastor. So distinguishing between spirits is, I think, a special endowment by the Spirit to um, see through new popular teachings, new popular teachers, um, books that um, are very faddish, things that people seem to be, you know, hook, line, and sinker, just taken in. Uh, the New Testament is very clear that there will be false prophets always. That will always be a problem um, for the church. Um, you just think about that practically. You think about the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther did what he did. Um, you know, in nailing the theses to the church door, just something was in him going, this is not right. I can see between right and wrong, and I've got to say something about it. So it's just a spirit that can just see truth and is willing to stand for that truth uh, so the church um, isn't harmed. So very, very useful, um, you know, for us today, even as we see a lot of apostasy um, um, inside the walls of the church, distinguishing between teachings and spirits and all those, all those kinds of things. Okay, last one, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. So one commentator wrote, and it's funny and it's true, um, Paul on purpose puts this gift last in the list, as he does in every list, because... It is the most troublesome gift. And it was the most troublesome gift for the ancient church. And it's the most troublesome church for us as the modern church. Just as much. And this was the biggest issue. And again, we'll get there. The issue was this gift, this this business of speaking in tongues, they were really glorifying it. They were misusing it. It was something that should not have, have been at all. Um, so what, what is speaking in tongues as Paul's talking about it? Where do we see that? So speaking in tongues, we'll go back to Acts chapter 2. So this is, this is the birth of the church. Um, what happens, well, we'll just read it. Acts chapter 2, um, verses whatever I have up there. Acts 2, 3 through 11. And it says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each was hearing them in his, uh, speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these um, who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each each of us in his own native language. Parthians and Medes, Elamites, uh, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, uh, Pamphylia, Egypt, and uh, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And it happens there. And it happens in... um, Uh, chapter 8 with the Samaritans. It happens in chapter 10 with Gentiles. It happens in chapter 19 at Ephesus. And each time, it's a new people group 
It's a new space where the gospel has been proclaimed and the apostles lay their hands on them. And as a sign of authenticity and genuineness, those people begin to speak in tongues. And what is that? What is that? It's amazing. It would be amazing if I got up here and started speaking Spanish. Why? Because I can't speak Spanish. Not even like fluently. Like, like, you know, hello, I could say hola, and that's it. It's not spiritual. What, what, is this, what is this then if all these people who don't know all these languages are speaking all these languages and people can hear? What is that? It's supernatural, so it's evangelistic. Because let's go back. Why did Paul say spiritual gifts exist? Because they're cool. Not what he said. So we can like feel really emotional and spiritual. That's not what he said. Paul said spiritual gifts are given for the common good. And what it was, was highly evangelistic. It was special and unique because God was giving the ancient church the ability to do this um, so as a supernatural sign where churches were being established, not as, and this is what the Corinthians were doing, as signs of showmanship. Look how awesome and spiritual I am. And on top of that, and this is chapter 4, we'll get into this, Paul demands and requires an interpreter present. Someone who can understand and share what is being said. So, again, modern, modern Pentecostalism, uh, modern, um, charismatic, uh, you know, modern charismatic movement um, has heavily, highly abused this. You know, I have, and you probably do too, I mean, I'm not going to assume what kind of friends you have, but I've had friends that you grew up in that and, you know, people talking gibberish or ecstatic and, you know, flailing on the floor or barking like dogs and running around in circles and there's multiple people doing this. Like, and it's just, it's, it's chaos and it's disorderly. That's nothing like what Paul's talking about at all. I want us to see again what Paul says in 12. Why do spiritual gifts exist? He says they exist for the common good. For the common good. And so, okay, the, can, can, can that happen today? Um, so I, I would not... So the two, the two words are um, cessationism and continue, being a continualist. So either you believe that all those gifts... Um, they stopped with the apostolic age when the last apostle died. All those gifts quit too. Um, or you're a continuationist and you believe that God may still use them in different ways. Um, I am not like this hardcore um, continuationist. I just don't... I, I've never found any arguments that the gifts have to stop convincing. And I don't see any passage in the Bible that teaches that. Okay, so this is one of those super hairy, honestly, divisive issues where like people are ready to like start swinging about what's true and what's not true. So I don't want it to become that. Um, but I, I simply am not convinced from the scriptures that it has to be that way. Where I stand on that is kind of what I said already. I think you and I have the written word of God. Um, we have access in the West to man. Hopefully I'm a decent Bible teacher, but we have access to a ton of wonderful Bible teachers. We have access to centuries, past of great Bible teachers that you could Google. I don't think there's a need for spiritual gifts here, 
the way that there could be in other places in the world or the way that they were used and why they were used in the Old Testament. So that's where I am on it. So I'm not like looking to do it like, all right, somebody speak in tongues today. Like, I don't think it's a sign that we're more spiritual. Um, I just believe um, we, we do have the Word of God. We have access to good Bible teaching. And that's why we don't see it the way that maybe um, it was done or it might be done um, in the world today. All that to say, what would I do if next Sunday somebody starts speaking in tongues, okay? And we all notice it. We all notice it. What do you do? What do you do? You go to that person and you say, yes, do you have an interpreter? And they say, no. Then you say, be quiet. That's what you, that's what you do, okay? Because that's Paul's prescription is if there's no interpreter, no speaking in tongues, period. It's just biblical prescription. And I, I think that it doesn't need to be any more um, wordy than that. Paul's just very clear on services, church gatherings, and I'm kind of preaching a sermon we'll preach in a few weeks. They're supposed to be orderly. They're supposed to be organized. They're supposed to be for the benefit of people. And again, spiritual gifts used that aren't benefiting to other people are being what? Misused, which is not to the glory of God. So this all comes, this all comes here to verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. It's something like marriage. If you show up to a marriage, like what can I get out of this? You're going to have a horrible marriage. Right? It doesn't mean you're not going to get something out of it. Surely, in a a, a good marriage, you're going to get years of love and encouragement and friendship. But you had better be giving and thinking about what it means to give. So we come to the local church, friends. God gives us so that we can give. Yes, we will also receive, but in the manner and likeness of Jesus, we must give. Local church life is not a spiritual buffet. Those are kind of archaic anymore, buffets, especially because of COVID. But you can't show up and just take, take, take. Church is a spiritual family. Families are healthy when we love and serve and help one another. It's required for the perseverance and health of the local church. That's necessary. That's necessary. So, spiritual gifts. Um, God has gifted me with spiritual life, but He's gifted me with that life, with its equipping, so that I can be a blessing to others and help them as they follow Jesus. And what are they doing with their gifts? They're helping me follow Jesus. And the whole thing is to the glory of God. So the Spirit's not shorting you. Like, man, I can't preach or teach or I don't have the gift of administration if you want that one or whatever. God has gifted you. That's one of them. Or leadership. There's Whatever it is, God has given you exactly what you need. He's equipped you exactly as you need to be equipped to do what He wants you to do and to help those He wants you to help so that we can all get home to Jesus together. On that is implied... You must be a part of a local church. If God gives spiritual gifts to Christians to help other Christians, if you're not with other Christians, you can't be helped by those gifts, meaning you're not going to get the help you need to get further down the road. So you see, the suicide it is to be a Christian and not live 
vitally, organically connected to the local church. That's so implied. It's so obvious. The gifts help us. The gifts help us. You are God's help to someone sitting next to you. They are your help. We help one another get home. That's what it is. We follow Jesus together for His glory. Okay, let's pray. Lord, when we come to Your Word, um, sometimes it feels like standing next to Mount Everest because, Lord, it's so big and it goes so deep and there's so many angles to it. We just want to be faithful to it, Lord. We want to be faithful, Lord, that... Uh, that we are approaching Your Word, that we are applying it to our life in a way that honors You. So Lord, as we look at and continue to look at what it means to love one another well by serving one another with the gifts You've given us, God, we pray that um, Your Word and Your Spirit would be our direction. God, we wouldn't interpret the Bible according to our preferences. We wouldn't interpret the Bible according to cultural uh, pressures, but we would say, this is what the Bible means according to the Spirit, and we're going to obey it that way. So Lord, help us do that. Lord, help us love one another. Lord, help us be um, selfless. Help us long to die more so that we can give um, help and life and love to those in our church family. Help us value one another. Paul says, consider the other more significant. God, let us consider those in our lives is more significant than ourselves. Help us love with the love of Jesus. And God, we cannot do it. We cannot do it if Your Spirit doesn't work it in us. So we just pray, Lord, more of Your Spirit, more sensitivity to Your Spirit, more leading in the Spirit, and all for Your glory. And it's in Jesus' name, Amen.